ETL Echo presents Quarter Life Crisis, an art and fit collaboration. Visivity, written by Skitter, with artwork by Abrillus. Visivity, noun, an emptiness, a vacancy. She doesn't even like coffee. That's the strange part. Stranger than all the other misaligned pieces of her recently returned life. A lot of them can be blamed on her work accident, or just a general lack of sleep from the awkward, open spaces of her bookshelf to the incongruous way her living room seems too empty. She's been meeting to tidy up, she thinks, and really it's just the chaos of the clutter getting to her. Of course it looks like her books are missing. She's probably left them in haphazard piles scattered around the flat. First, the living room seems too empty. She's been meaning to buy a new reading chair for months now. It doesn't matter that the calendar is several months behind, or that her bed smells of peppermint. The rude nurse at St. Mungo said Hermione could expect some gaps in memory, explained that the accident left her in a coma-like state for a few weeks, and as such, her life may be a bit disjointed when she tried to resume it. That all rings true, all about dreadfully annoying, but manageable. It's just the coffee cup that's wrong. She doesn't recognize the pale green porcelain mug, and she certainly doesn't remember buying it. There's a chip in the rim that is stained brown, presumably from the coffee it's meant to contain. Weirder still is the distinct lack of coffee in her kitchen. Maybe it's Ron's, or Harry's, she wonders, knowing full well that they both prefer tea. Dean Thomas enjoys it, but Hermione cannot possibly conjure a scenario in which Dean Thomas would have cause to be in her flat, drinking out of what was clearly a well-loved mug. It grates against her barely-healed nerves, like an invisible speck irritating the whites of her eyes. She keeps rubbing on it, picking at the anomaly, and it only makes it worse. Her healer would say to throw it away, of course, citing that it is imperative to her long-term recovery that she not overexert her subconscious. It's why she's been relegated to archival work for the time being, something she's secretly quite pleased with. But no, she can't seem to bring herself to toss the impossible thing into the bin. It seems important, dreadfully so, and Hermione was never one to ignore a good lead. Instead, she tucks it into the back of her cupboard, behind the usual glasses and such, like a dirty secret to be dealt with when the time is right. I ran into Draco Malfoy today. I'm sorry. He was polite. Was he imperious? I couldn't say. The period of adjustment is taking far longer than the healers had predicted, much to Hermione's utter frustration. It's been almost a month since she woke up at St. Mungo's, and yet she's still plagued by symptoms. Her headaches have yet to abate, starting as a slight pressure behind her eyes that eventually crescendos into an almost unbearable ache that cannot be suppressed with even the strongest of medicines. They don't happen every day, but the frequency with which they bother her has yet to diminish. Furthermore, they seem to operate on an as-of-yet-impossible-to-define schedule. Nothing in particular seems to trigger them from bright lights to loud noises. The only constant variable she can find is that it tends to only happen on the weekdays, and only when it's raining. Despite her common sense, Hermione spends an evening poring through old magic medical textbooks, trying to see if weather can be linked to headaches. She finds nothing. My accident, she starts to ask Harry at work one afternoon. No. He shuts her down immediately. Harry, I have a right to know what happened. He peers at her from over that day's copy of the Daily Prophet. We told you what happened. You were working on something dangerous and classified in the Department of Mysteries, an artifact of some sort. It was previously believed to be dormant. It wasn't. But what kind of artifact was it? And what did it do to me? She demands. I've asked Lockwood a dozen times, and every time he refuses to engage. Good, Ron pipes up over a mouthful of food. Smart man. She glares at him. 
I know the healers have my best chance at recovery is contingent upon taking it easy and avoiding any triggers, but... No but, Hermione, Harry says sternly. Maybe in a few months, once the symptoms have stopped. Once we know, you won't immediately fall back into a coma or something. I'm not fragile. Her two oldest friends give her knowing looks, just shy of properly pitying, and say absolutely nothing at all. Fancy seeing you here. Go away, Malfoy. It's a public bookstore, and I'm the public. I'm shocked you can even read. I'm shocked you care. We're just full of surprises today, aren't we, Granger? I'll hex you. Promise? In addition to the splitting headaches, she starts getting nosebleeds. Nothing alarming and certainly not painful. Just a small trickle of blood and a faint sensation of failing equilibrium. She brings it up to her healer at the six-week follow-up appointment, but he waves it off as some lingering side effects of her accident, something to be dismissed without thought. Hermione fixates on it, like she does the headaches, and finds even less of a reliable through-line of potential triggers. In the evening, once the rest of the department has gone home for the day, she summons tomes of ancient curses from the recesses of the Ministry's archival library, and combs them for even a hint of an answer. There are none. After a particularly nasty headache that a quick trip to the bookstore seemed to only make significantly worse, she crawls into bed, cradling the coffee mug. It's the only tangible, observable rip in her otherwise stable reality. It took her a little while, but she went through every one of her closest loved one's cupboards in search of a similar cup, and when she came up empty-handed, she started carrying the mug from room to room with her whenever she was home alone. It's a comfort, almost a companion, and she knows it's of some significance to her. She just has to find out why. I'm never reading another one of your recommendations again. Oh, was it Edgar Allan Poe too challenging? I'm sure I've got some books from my primary school you could borrow. You make to ruin of my pride. I thought we were friends. Is this how you treat the Wonder Twins? We're not friends. We hang out once a week, Granger. Seems pretty friendly to me. Showing up at the same bookstore and forcing your company upon me is hardly the start of a beautiful friendship. Forcing? You're the one lingering obviously by the window pretending not to look for me. I do not. You're blushing. Seems out that you just hex me in a bloody bookstore. It was a jinx, actually, which you would know if you ever bothered to learn anything at school. I learned loads. Oh, really? I don't remember seeing how to be a total and complete prat listed anywhere in the curriculum. Sure you did. It was right below, Swart Behaviour 101, and Self-Righteous Attitudes and Attributes. I hate you, she said with a grin. The final symptom, and the absolute worst one in Hermione's personal opinion, is the nightmares. It's not that they're particularly horrifying. It's just that they're wrong. She'll be doing something mundane, something familiar, like cleaning the flat or making dinner. Only she won't be doing it alone. Someone is there with her, but she can never see their face. It's just static. Like when she'd fall asleep with Grand's telly on as a child. Affection will swell within her at every imagined interaction, serving only to confuse her more. And then, at some point in every dream, everything shifts, and it's like this mysterious person is soon out of her life. There isn't even a void left behind, just a wound sutured tight. The pain of the loss, coupled with the utter lack of understanding and knowing, forces her thoroughly back into the waking world, often with a half-choked shout. Ginny, was I? Hermione can't even bring herself to ask it. The words go sour on the tip of her tongue, like it could poison her to finish the thought. 
Were you what, love? In the weeks before my accident, did I... How did I seem? What do you mean? Hermione taps anxiously on the table. What was I like? Was I happy? Or distracted? Or something? Ginny frowns. Do you not remember? The question shames her for some inexplicable reason, as though she's damaged and pitiful. I am having trouble, she finally admits. You were happy, honestly. Proper happy. I hadn't seen you that relaxed in months, not since well before you and Ron broke up. We all thought you were secretly dating someone. Can you believe it? When she laughs affectionately into her hand, Hermione's head begins to pound. You were, of course. At least you promised you weren't. And you believed me? Ginny's mirth fades away, and she gives her a searching look. Hermione, what brought this on? Is something the matter? Hermione looks around her flat, at the empty spaces she cannot fill, at the missing books and the pressing sense that there is something wrong. I don't know. I feel... incomplete. Have you talked to your healer? He tells me the same thing every time. It's just a lingering side effect of the accident, and they'll fade eventually. She reaches across the table to gently grasp her hand, stilling Hermione's tapping. So just be patient then, love. I know you hate hearing this, but I really do think that all you need is time. I didn't know you drank coffee. There's a lot of things you don't know about me, Granger. Painful though it must be for you to admit. I know you're weak for a bad romance novel, and that you take far too long to decide what to buy. Seeing as our friendship doesn't extend beyond the boundaries of the bookstore, I'd say I know just enough. Do you want it to? Do I want it to what? Extend beyond the boundaries of the bookstore. Oh. You've gone quiet, and not in the usual I'm-about-to-be-obnoxiously-clever-about-something way. I'm always obnoxiously clever. Don't I know it? You're not helping your case, you know. And what case is that? Your case, too. Spend time with me, elsewhere. As in not here, obviously. Obviously. Oh, if you're going to give me that stupid look, then you can forget about it. What are you doing this Saturday? I... is that a joke? It's my... Birthday. Yes, I know. But that's not what I asked. What are you doing? You know it's my birthday. Granger. Sorry. Right. Well, we usually have Sunday dinner at Harry's, so everyone is coming round to celebrate with me then. So you're free? Yes. Why? Don't sound so suspicious. I'll meet you here. Say, noon. Why? What for? You'll have to trust me. Fine. But if this is a trick... It's a date, actually. Hermione is struggling to read. Every time she curls up in her favorite spot on the couch with a new book in hand, she suddenly loses the ability to comprehend even the most basic of sentences. It doesn't happen at work or anywhere else, just in her flat, just when she's alone. Alone, aside from the coffee cup and the mystery of its origin. So she goes to the bookstore, hoping a change of scenery will help. The last time she was here, her headache hit her like a lightning bolt, and as she steps through the door, it threatens to happen again. With a clenched jaw and a few grounding breaths, she grins and she bears it. It's the same inside as always. No clear organization, aisles barely wide enough for one person to walk through, intermittent globes of witch light, and at least half a dozen cats. The scent of old parchment and candle wax wafts through the winding rows of books and tomes. Even with the incessant pounding in her head, Hermione feels a small degree of genuine joy at the familiarity of it. She wanders over to the hulking blue bookshelf and runs a finger along the faded spines. 
The feel of the leather seems to ricochet up her arm, and she closes her eyes, holding herself still in the moment. It's peaceful, despite the headache, despite the severed something she is still dragging around. Oh, Miss Granger, what a treat this is! Mrs. Whipple, the owner and sole employee, appears from around a nearby tower of books. Her weathered face is kind, open, and inviting, and Hermione finds herself returning the friendly smile she finds there. Hello, Mrs. Whipple. How have you been? How have I been? She asks with a degree of incredulity as they meet in the middle. How have you been? I heard about your accident, dearie. So dreadful. I'm all right. Still trying to make sense of a few things. Absolutely understandable. You went through quite the ordeal. Hermione slowly nods. Yes, it was dreadful. I'm not sure what you heard about it, about what happened, or just that you got into an accident at work, experimented on something dangerous, or I was told. An artifact, presumably. A small measure of disappointment ripples through her. Right, yes. That's the story. Thank God you're alive. Hermione gives her a small and sad smile. Indeed. And you've got that lovely young man to help you out, I'm sure. It's as though time stops for a moment and Hermione can feel the weight of every bone, every cell, every fibre and sinew that keeps her bound to the earth. Young man. Of course, dearie. That blonde one you're always with. The older woman's eyes go wide as her mouth with fond remembrance, sparking a jealousy so profoundly unexpected within Hermione it almost serves to snap her out of whatever spiral she's about to go on. He was utterly besotted with you. I'm glad you two were... Oh, oh no, love. Mrs. Whipple digs out a handkerchief out of her sleeve and hands it to Hermione. Your nose is bleeding. I'm sorry I had to cancel, Jenny, but I'm utterly swamped at work. You've been swamped for the last two weekends, Hermione. Everything all right? Yes, yes, it's just this new assignment Lockwood has me on. Oh? It's dull, I promise. And confidential. Don't waggle your eyebrows at me. I'm not telling you. That's fine. I'll just guess then. Are you breeding dragon-unicorn hybrids? Freeing the elves? Mass-producing time-turners? Or maybe developing a newer, fitter version of magic? Ginny. Magic too. Goodbye, Ginny. Blink if it's magic too. I'm walking away. You blinked. Ha! Huh, I know it. It's a soggy, rainy Tuesday in April that finds Hermione standing outside of a coffee shop. There's nothing particularly noteworthy about the establishment. It's just the one she walks by when the weather is bad enough to flood the apparition point closer to work. The scent of coffee wafts past her whenever a customer opens the door, and she keeps waiting for something to happen. All the muggle doctors claim that sense of smell is the one acutely tied to memory, and yet with every passing moment, that hypothesis fails her again and again. She was sure that the aroma would spark something, would unlock or reveal or explain that person missing from her life. And it is a person, she's decided. It's the only thing that makes sense. It has to be. Ginny, Harry, and the rest swear up and down that she wasn't seeing anyone that they knew of, which means that either this lovely blonde young man wasn't her boyfriend, or Hermione was lying to her friends. What would drive her to do that, she cannot say. 
So for now, she goes with the more likely explanation that perhaps she and the young man were just friends. Really good, really close, leave your mug at my flat kind of friends. She goes inside, and before she can second-guess herself, orders a generic black coffee to go. No one pays her mind, least of all the barista, and the anonymity goes a long way to calming her ever-fraying nerves. The only empty table is the one directly in front of the window, and Hermione resolves herself to people watch while she waits for her drink. Perhaps losing herself in the imaginary minutiae of strangers' lives would help. That's when she sees him. He's swathed in black robes, an umbrella held high to stave off the wind and the rain. His reflection is muddied through the wet glass, obscuring most of his features, but the shock of hair is too pronounced to miss. It's not quite blonde, to be fair. More of a platinum. Still, that slightly stitched wound in her head throbs at the sight of him, and she instinctively presses a napkin to her nose to catch the blood dripping from it. It has to be him. Hermione is on her feet and out the door in seconds. Hey! Hey! She calls into the thinning crowd, yelling over the sounds of the storm. The man freezes for a moment, his shoulders going rigid, but he does not turn. Hermione flings herself forward. The pressure of the suddenly excruciating headache nearly robbing her of her ability to walk. Wait! Please, wait! This is a heartbeat, where everything goes still. Where she is certain he will look back at her and put a face to the name that is burning the tip of her tongue. But a stranger walks between them, destroying the rapidly expanding sensation of significance moving through her, and the man breaks out into a run. It's such a sudden choice, so strangely unexpected that it paralyzes her for a moment too long, and by the time she tries to catch up, her body is in full revolt, and the man has disappeared around the corner. Admitting defeat, bitter and crushing as it is, Hermione crashes into a nearby wall and wills the world to stop spinning on an impossible axis. Time slinks by at a creeping pace as she gathers her breath and her fracturing wits about her. The pain barely subsides but she wrestles it into submission long enough to apparate home. Drenched with spring rain and with warm blood smeared across her mouth, Hermione faints the moment she gets through the door. I think I want to kiss you. I think I want to let you. Lockwood nearly jumps out of his robes when he turns on his office light to find Hermione sitting at his desk, a pile of parchment sprawling before her. Unspeakable Granger! What?! I've always respected you, Master Lockwood, she says. You keep a tidy department. You respect the gravitas of our work here. Her hand is like a stone as she drags a finger across the chaos in front of her. And you're fastidious, almost to the point of neurosis about paperwork. What? I'm the same way, you see. So, after two months of suffering and pain and confusion, I decided that if no one was going to give me the answers, I'd get them myself. Hermione leans forward, letting the parchment crumble and fold beneath the weight of her fury. It wasn't a work accident, was it? His mouth is a grim, rigid line of betrayal. I don't know. It wasn't a bloody work accident, she shouts. Was it? No. No, it wasn't. She shoves the mess she's made across his desk, letting the mountain of papers fall at his feet. You lied to me! I had no choice, he tries to explain. The healers. Hermione shoves past him, fighting back bile and tunnel vision in equal measure, and leaves Lockwood slack-jawed and frightened in her wake. 
I will be made a fool in my own home, Draco Lucius Malfoy. Why, mother, whatever do you mean? Luella Parkinson saw you gallivanting around Diagon Alley last night with some girl. Who was it? Bathilda Bloody Bagshot. Language, Draco! My apologies, Mrs. Bathilda Bloody Bagshot. You're of an age where you need to think about settling down, not partaking in these dalliances. Who said she was a dalliance? What if I want to marry her? I don't even know her name. I will not have my son, my only son, marrying some stranger. It's Granger, actually, not stranger. As in Hermione Granger. As in the only good choice Ponzi Potter ever made. I've been seeing her for almost two months now, if you can believe it. Pardon me? Happy Christmas, I suppose. She's that mud ah uh, ah uh, ah uh, mother. Language. It's been a few days since she stormed Lockwood's office, and while her fury has hardly waned, her behavior is much more under control, meaning it's as good a time as any to pay a visit to her healer. She considered speaking to Harry first, but she wants all the information possible before she accuses him of lying to her. It's only fair. Miss Granger, I understand your frustration, but as your healer, I must insist that the details remain under lock and key until we can be sure that you've fully recovered. But I won't. Don't you see? As long as I'm carrying around this... this absence, my brain can't heal. I can't heal. She pressed her fingertips roughly into her chest as she spoke. Her healer sniffs with an air of petulance. I'm the medical professional, not you. And I'm telling you. Give me my file. No. She smiles at him. It's all teeth. How lucky you are to have a husband so understanding. I? What? Excuse me. I mean, surely you know how uncommon it is for a husband to be so comfortable with his partner seeing other people. It had taken Hermione the better part of an hour and a lot of spell work to break into the desk of Healer Aston's assistant. The fact that the younger man was so stupid as to leave a small, charmed photo of the two of them in his top drawer was appalling. She'd merely been looking for a key to the healer's office, but discovered something equally valuable. Are you blackmailing me? Henry, isn't it? Your husband. He owns Aston's Amazing Astronomics, right? She'd known this for ages, having walked by the shop a dozen times during her trips to Diagon Alley. I'm sure he'd love to chat. The color fully drains from the healer's face. I'll report you. I'll report you. Sleeping with someone who works under you is hardly ethical. Not to mention Trevor's sudden raise. Gringotts receipt parchments laying directly atop the tiny picture in a poor attempt to shield it from prying eyes. The file. Hermione holds out her steady hand. He summons it from the cabinet behind him and all but throws it at her. Take it and get out. Hermione obliviates him before she does if only to hide her tracks. Her actions were most assuredly not legal. The irony is not lost on her, of course, but she's already moved on. A little obliviating never hurt anyone. She took ten minutes of his life from him. He took something invaluable from her. And she means to get it back. She smiles warmly at Trevor when she leaves. This is divine, Granger. It's just pizza. It's a gift from Merlin himself. I retract every bad thing I've ever said about muggle inventions. Liar. You're right. I stand by my hatred of automobiles. It's unnatural. Says the broom rider. 
Don't use my wits against me. Are you going to eat that? Here. Benevolent beyond measure, my darling. You've got sauce on your chin. Clean it up for me. Gods, you're disgusting. Granger? Yeah? You know I'm in love with you, right? The file is uncomfortably vague, though it provides more answers than it demands, thankfully. She was brought in by someone unnamed, having been hit by an ancient curse courtesy of an old necklace tainted with dark magic. This person who brought her in says she came into contact with it at work, something Hermione knows to be totally false, and that it's their fault she was handling it in the first place. Her next of kin, Harry of course, was notified, and she can only presume that the unnamed individual left without saying anything else of import. There are a lot of extensive notes regarding possible avenues of care, various ways to wake her up, but it is cagey on the details of what was actually wrong with her. She presented in a fugue-like state, had a brief but violent descent into mania, before being put into a coma for several weeks. Ultimately, it was decided that all the memories of her accident, and presumably the person responsible for it, be wiped in order to, essentially, reset her brain. Hermione flews to Harry's house as soon as she's satisfied that the file has been thoroughly read, and drops the stack of parchment in the center of his dining room table. Hello, Hermione, he says, and pulls the plate of food out from under the file. How nice of you to join us. That's my file, she gestures at it. I read it. Jenny sighs. Hermione. I think I was dating someone. Harry pauses, fork suspended in the air. We already told you you weren't. I lied. Why the hell would you lie? It wasn't a work accident, she says in lieu of responding and pulls out an empty chair to sit between them. Lockwood confirmed it. The healer assured us that it was, Harry explains. He lied too. Jenny gently places her hand on Hermione's arm. So then what actually happened? I... Don't know. Someone, not a co-worker, brought me to St. Mungo's, said I'd been handling an old cursed necklace, and it was their fault that it happened. They left no name. And you were dating them? I think so. I can't explain it, Harry. I just know something is missing. Someone. I found a coffee cup. But you don't even like coffee. Exactly. So then we know it doesn't belong to me, or to anyone I know. And then there's this blonde man I spent a lot of time with at Whipple's Wondrous Reads. What blonde man? Harry asks. She didn't say, and I nearly fainted in her shop at just the mention of him. It's gotta be him. It has to be. Hermione. I know it sounds absurd, but he was living in my flat. There are books missing in a scuff on the floor where an armchair would go. My bedding smelled of peppermint for weeks. The calendar was old, really old, and stained, like it had come out of the trash or something. So what? You think this mysterious blonde guy cursed you, brought you to the hospital, erased himself from your memory, and then broke into your apparently shared flat to remove all traces of his existence? Yes. You are aware how mental you sound, yeah? There was a look of contemplation on Jenny's face that made Hermione's head begin to ache. Blonde, huh? I saw him once. But it wasn't really blonde. It was more... I know who it is. I got you something. Why? Because I love you. Must I have a reason? What do you want? Nothing. I just wanted to give you something nice. Something to remind you of how lucky you are to have such a stunning, thoughtful, amazing boyfriend. 
Never was there a man more humble than Draco Malfoy. You flatter me, darling. Open it. Oh, my. Draco, this is... It's an old family heirloom, one mother never wears. I thought you deserved something priceless and beautiful. You mean aside from you? Keep it up, and you'll sweet-talk me right out of my trousers. How do I put it on? Hair. I'll do it. Move all that hair. Don't be mean. Shush. Let me clasp this. Stop moving so much, and you'll be... Granger, seriously, stop. Granger? Are you... Oh, God. Hermione paces the length of her kitchen, clutching the mug like a lifeline, and weighs the two choices before her. It's not that she doesn't want to know who he is, the blonde young man. It's just that the danger to her health cannot be understated. And, seeing as she has effectively cut off the avenue of information that is Healer Aston, she cannot know for certain what will happen if she chooses to unfold the small piece of paper tucked into her pocket. There is a name on it, written in Jenny's handwriting. Two simple words that could potentially spell out her demise. And yet, that hollow sort of incongruous ache that occupies her every moment is hardly what she would consider tenable in the long term. She needs more information. She cannot just take a leap of faith without first exploring all options. Unfortunately, the only thing that comes to mind is the Ministry's archival library, accessible only to pre-approved employees. Someone she very likely no longer is. Perhaps Harry could get her in. He hates the idea of her reading the scrap of paper. She knows that. But he also loves her enough to understand how much pain she's in. Hermione glances at the clock. It's just a few minutes into the Ministry's lunch hour, meaning her beloved best friend is probably just sitting down to eat the lunch Ginny lovingly bought for him. Before she can do something rash, like unfold the paper and release the proverbial floodgates, she pulls on her jacket and her old rain boots and sprints for the apparition point. It takes roughly 15 minutes for her to get from her kitchen to standing in an empty ministry lift, slowly descending to the cafeteria level. It stops on the first floor, of course, further delaying her from her destination. She goes to fiddle with the piece of paper in her pocket when she realizes she's still holding the damned coffee mug. The doors to the lift slide open, and Hermione is staring in mild embarrassment at the cup in her hands when it happens. Oh, I. She looks up at the sudden voice, and the air in her lungs goes cold. It's him. It's him. He's a man, tall and disconcertingly pale. Her original assessment of his hair was correct in that it's not blonde. It's platinum. Unable to look away, she follows the lines of his unfamiliar face upwards until their eyes meet and, oh, oh, they're gray. It's you. He immediately goes to flee giving her but a passing glance at the look of agony on his face, but this time she won't let him get away. The second her fingers graze his sleeve, he stops, once more unnaturally still, as if frozen in place. You're him! I'm no one. It's like a song she used to know the words to, achingly familiar, just out of reach. You're... you're... His eyes briefly connect with hers before he looks down at the mug she's still holding and the expression of his face fractures. Let go of me, he says in a harsh whisper. Do you like coffee? Is this your mug? Leave me alone. Please, she begs. Please. I just need to understand. I can't... I, I don't know. I miss you, and I don't know why. 
He wrenches his sleeve out of her grip and takes a full step back, seeking a distance she refuses to give him. Hermione moves forward, off the lift and into the empty, unremarkable hallway. I have no idea who you are, he insists. You're lying! You're mental. She shoves the coffee mug into his hands and he takes it before it can fall. This is yours. I know it's yours. Just like the empty spots on my bookshelf and the... the... Hermione lurches toward him and inhales. Peppermint! You love coffee and you smell like peppermint and you took my armchair when you left! It was mine first, he says with an air of grim acceptance. And you're not supposed to know that. You're not supposed to know any of it. But I do, okay? I do, and I, I'm sorry, but I cannot carry on in this, this state. You're alive. That's what matters. You have no idea what it's like, carrying around the absence of you. Anger colours the pale expanse of his cheeks, his neck. I have every fucking idea what it's like, actually. So get away from me. No. Please, Granger. I'm not... I'm not strong enough to do this again. So don't do it again. I want to understand. You can't, okay? He snarls the words at her, hurling them like rocks wrapped in snow. It's a fucking miracle you're even standing here now. There is a wand in his hand suddenly, the one not clutching to the mug like the lifeline she knows it to be, and he raises it. I didn't do a good enough job the first time, but I will now. I'll cut me out of. Hermione rushes him, pinning his wand between them before he can obliviate her, and they crash into the wall. He's wrapped in black robes that cover every inch of his skin, save for his hands which are warm and sturdy against her shoulders when he pushes her back. Don't you dare! If you have any, any love for me at all, you won't! I... Please! Defeat weighs heavily upon him as he puts the wand away and with an air of finality, he moves past her to head towards the lift. Fine. But you have to stop, do you understand me? You have to give up. Give me up. I refuse. You will die. No, I won't. My head isn't even hurt. I'll prove it. She digs out the piece of paper and brandishes it at him like a knife. This is your name. Fear. Like broken glass reflects back at her from a face that's almost familiar, almost home. Don't. She does. And at first they make no sense. It's just letters arranged arbitrarily to form two words she doesn't recognize. Draco Malfoy? Granger. Something important, something very, very important slots violently back into place within her, and the world goes sideways. A wave of emotion too sudden and intense to name rushes over her and drags her beneath a current of pain. Hermione becomes untethered from her body and sinks down into the dark blue. I saw Malfoy today. I'm sorry. He was cold. Scathingly rude. Any idea why? Hermione stares down at the green, half-empty mug of coffee in her hands. I couldn't say. And because we don't like it when these two idiots don't get a happy ending, here's the happy alternative. Where... where am I? What happened? You're in the hospital. You had an accident at work. What? Don't you remember? But I... I was talking to... To who? Hermione looks slowly around the room, as if the answer lurks just out of view, sitting on her bedside table, seemingly discarded among the other detritus, is a green mug.
Her heart wrenches at its presence, as though she were suddenly standing at the edge of a great precipice, one step from the waiting unknown. Instinctively, her eyes find the grey ones of a man hovering just out of reach. You! I was talking to you! The hesitation in his expression spurs her on, and even if she doesn't know why, she reaches out and grabs his hand. Granger? It carries an unexpected weight, all lingering grief and bitter hope. His fingers are warm beneath her own, and as though it were as familiar as breathing, she steps easily off the edge. Malfoy. E.T.L. Echo. Echoing tales of enemies to lovers. <laughs>